0: welcome to the fantasy nba today podcast this is a pretty easy opener to do for me one week that's it that's the countdown to the start of the nba season drafts are happening slow drafts are very much in full swing 30 deep is gone We got all my stuff, I think. My personal things are all arranged. Pretty sure you guys are doing the same thing. And we just keep getting more and more reasons to draft late. LaMelo Ball needs an MRI on his foot. The list of injuries happening just keeps growing. It stinks. But it is, again, a stark reminder of why we... Don't draft super early. Yes, sometimes you can kind of beat the market on certain guys. But this type of stuff, and hopefully the LaMelo thing turns out to be small. Sprained ankle. You know, maybe it's only going to be two weeks. But what if it's four? What if it's six? We don't know yet. This could turn out to be an example of kind of nothing. But if you drafted last week, you probably drafted LaMelo at like 10 And if he's going to miss the first three or four weeks of the season, I don't think you would have done that. I had someone reply to me on Twitter. I I sent a note out last night. I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter. By the way, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I launched straight into a when should you draft rant. But let me talk to you for a minute about when you should draft. I, I sent a note out on really just the fact that, like, all of the injuries in this preseason, whether it's Jokic in the wrist, which maybe that's totally nothing also. Lamelo and the ankle. Kristaps Porzingis turned his ankle. There are big-name players dealing with stuff, and it hasn't been entirely clear whether or not this stuff is just going to magically go away, because a lot of preseason stuff does, or if this is real. And I said, this is why you draft as close to the start of the season as possible. And someone replied, and they said, player could get hurt any day. Yes, that is absolutely true. However, it does kind of ignore the math of the situation. Let's say I was going to play basketball every day for five straight months. There's a certain percentage chance I get injured doing that. Actually, if it was me, the percentage is 100%. But let's say I'm a, an actual NBA athlete doing that. I don't know what the percentage is. Most of these guys get hurt at least once in five months. But what if I said I was going to play basketball every day for six months? There's a higher chance of getting injured over six months than there is in five. It's just simple math. The more times you do an event, the more chances you have to get hurt doing it. Now, let me change that discussion and say, all right, the first month of these games don't matter. Is there any reason at all to say, oh, well, he could get hurt any day? In games that don't matter, why? I, like, I get it. There's certain spots where you might have been able to take advantage of it. Uh, you know, Gary Trent was going after 100 when the numbers first came out two months ago, and now he's going like 20 slots earlier. But is that worth it to where your first-round pick might end up missing three or four weeks of the season? That if you had known, if you draft tomorrow, maybe you skip over LaMelo Ball. Maybe we get this report back and it says four weeks. Maybe you skip over him for a little bit longer. More action is more opportunity to get hurt. If you wait until the end of the preseason, you've eliminated some number of opportunities when the player on your team could get hurt. And they go into the regular season with the expectation that they'll play in as many games as humanly possible because they'll be healthy on day one. So draft late, people. Please draft late. Uh, hi again. Welcome to the show. Um, thank you, everybody, once again, for making this just an unbelievable offseason. I've been beyond inspired by the number of you that stayed and listened to shows throughout an entire basketball offseason. It seems almost, dare I say, idiotic <laughs> that we're doing this. Uh, but yet here we are listening to offseason shows, doing them together and having a blast doing it. So thank you all. Please do drop a five-star review on the show if you have a moment. I haven't really asked you guys all that much during this preseason run-up, but if you have a moment, please do that. Uh, Again, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. We're talking to Adam Stock today. That's coming up in about 90 seconds. Before we do that, I wanted to throw out a quick recruiting pitch. Sports Ethos is short a couple of DFS bodies this year. So if you play some DFS, you think you might be able to jump over to the other side of the curtain, be an analyst, The weekly commitment is uh, a bit lower than if you wanted to work your way through on the full season fantasy side. Shush, don't tell anyone I told you that. Um, Reach out, please, on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. It's a really cool opportunity, too, to get yourself on a really well-listened-to podcast. DFS Today has really good listenership, and that would come with it. So reach out. Hope to hear from you guys. Uh, Ethos leagues are full is the other thing I wanted to mention here at the outset. You can still hit me up. Uh, We do have a priority waiting list for likely next year, but I guess if 12 teams popped onto it in the next 24 hours, you might be able to open up a league at Dan Vespers on Twitter. And also, if you want to reach out for recruiting, leagues, whatever, if you have questions about our our premium products, you can also email roster at sportsethos.com. You may know him more for his punt ability i know him because in roto drafts he drafts all the guys that i would draft at that same spot and so that makes podcasting uh i feel like i'm just sort of congratulating myself but either way the 2020 fswa basketball writer of the year i know i congratulated you about that on yesterday or on last year's visit but i'll do it again the great adam stock welcome back to the show my good man yeah, thanks for having me. You can uh, continue to do that for as long as you'd like, <laughs> Adam. Of course, over at EliteFantasyBasketball.com. he is at Adam G Stock on Twitter, hanging out in the great white north. Um, so let's talk. Let's dive straight into the the uh, mock results. This was, of course, a nine cat roto mock. You were right smack in the middle, which is typically a spot I like to be. Although this year I've had some people tell me they actually really like being on the turn because it seems like there's more first-roundy kind of options. Whatever. Um, I'm jumping over your first-round pick because, damn it, I'm I'm in control of this show, and I want to talk about your second-rounder because that was Kawhi Leonard. And I'm going to try to do math on the fly. I think that was pick 19, which typically a little earlier than he's going in most drafts. Probably wouldn't be there for your third. I guess there's a fleeting chance. But the reason I want to talk about it is because he's now landed in this pile of dangerous old injury guys that have now suddenly just, like, turned into the middle of the second round. Is there—Adam, I you know, this is going to be a question about Kawhi, but it's going to be a broader question that I've been asking a lot of folks about the second round. Is there kind of a hierarchy to those scary guys for you? It seems like here, at least from the results— You're not scared away from all of them, but I'm talking about Kyrie Irving and his reasons for missing games, typically not injury, but LeBron's been banged up. He's in there. Kawhi's coming off a missed season. Uh, Paul George is always hurt. Jimmy Butler tends to be more of a third guy, but you can kind of throw him in that mix as well. Um, Are you afraid of any of those guys more than others? How did you land on Kawhi? That is a very broad question, but why not throw you into the hot seat right out of the, right out of the gate here? The floor yeah. is yours, Adam. Just interrupt me and stop me from talking so much. Yeah, yeah. So I hate to hedge, but it really depends. So in
1: Roto, Kawhi is my guy. I kind of disagree that he's, he's super risky in, in that setting just because his first couple of years with the Clippers, like he missed a ton of games and he still finishes as the top 10 guy on a totals basis. So in Roto, I don't think he's that risky. I think you can take him earlier. Then I took him Uh, in head to head. Yeah, he's scary as heck, especially with the uh, Clippers having a a poor playoff schedule. I would rank him behind Davis, uh, LeBron in that setting. Uh, I'm not a Kyrie guy. Um, I know some people are like, well, this this year, like he's got a a, he's in a contract year. He'll take it seriously. Uh, But he was in a contract year last year, too. And then he prior to training camp, he was going crazy (laughs) on social media. So nothing really about him screens that this year is going to be different. I, I know there's there's no, like, automatic uh, missed games coming up with, uh, uh, with the vaccine issue not really mattering this year. But with Kyrie, like, he'll find a reason, you know? Like, two years ago, it was, like, birthday parties. Like, we can't really predict what he'll do, but, like, something will happen. I, I personally think he kind of, like, looks for excuses to find t- time off, and I think that'll probably be the case this year. So, for me, Kyrie's more a, a late two guy, and even then I'm not really sure if I would take him there because if I had, like, Jokic and Kyrie was there, like, am I really going to risk that Jokic, like, advantage on Kyrie? Do I need to bet my season on that? Uh, One guy I I know some people are scared of, I'm not as scared of is Anthony Davis, just because I think he's at least going to, like, try to play a bunch of games. Like, with Kawhi, (laughs) you know, he's not going to try. Kyrie is probably going to miss a bunch of games. But Davis, like – he wants he, to play. He'll get hurt, but I mean, he, he's going to play through minor stuff, which the other guys won't. So I do give him like a slight edge. Um, LeBron, similar. He, he's going to try. He'll probably get hurt. but So I would probably put the Laker guys in head-to-head first over Kyrie, just because he's Kyrie, and then Kawhi. The playoff schedule just like really scares me with the Clippers. Like I have George a, a l- little low because like th- there's really no room for error. If they miss even one game in the fantasy playoffs, uh, you're getting like, two games out of them, like, of course, bump them up a little more in Roto, especially Kawhi, but in in head-to-head, they're real tough.
0: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing, like, going all the way back to what you were saying about Kyrie, the the logic on him is infallible and a shout-out to last week, Jonas Nader was on the show and he was like, look, here's all the reasons that Kyrie should want to play a full season. He's like, well, all he has to do is, like, show up for a year and he'll make $200 million and He's got all this bad publicity. But like you said, I mean, my response, to this, I even asked Jonas and I was like, yeah, but like, can you apply logic with Kyrie? And it seems like the answer lately has not really been yes. Um, I am also weirdly pro LeBron this year. I don't I, this hasn't happened to me in like six seasons. Um, but is that because he's almost 40 now? I Yeah, maybe he must be in, finally in my wheelhouse. But like he's been old for a while. It's just that his free throws are not full punt. Mode at least after last year, and who knows it could drop back down to sixty nine percent. But like to get him out of the punt free throw uh, era, because like seventy five percent. I know the volume is high, but you can you can make up for that. You throw one good foul shooter on your team, you can kind of nullify what LeBron did last year, as opposed to previous seasons, you kind of needed like three guys to cancel him out. Um, third round, you went DeAndre Ayton, which shouldn't be a controversial pick, and frankly, it isn't really other than the fact that the vibes in Phoenix seem atrocious. I, like, who has looked as sad as Ayton after signing, what did he, what did he sign, like a $150 million contract or something? And he looked so miserable at that press conference. Are you at all worried about what that could do to just, like, general fantasy value for guys on the Suns this year?
1: A touch, a touch for sure. We'll see what happens once Crowder gets moved because maybe that will kind of like clear things up, make the vibes a little better. I'm not going to lie. I didn't love the Aiden pick. It's just there was, I think there was like four teams behind me that didn't have a big. So if I didn't take a big there, I was going to like really be struggling to find centers. Um, The way I'm justifying, at least in my head, I'm not sure I believe it 100%, is that um, uh, he wasn't happy last year and he still had a pretty nice season. So (laughs) (laughs) True. Like that, that, that's really how I view it. I don't think he's going to really dog it that much. And just as, as Paul continues to not necessarily like decline quickly, but take on a, a lesser role in the offense, it, it's almost like got to go to Aiden. Like, like I know Cam Johnson will get some extra shots, but it's, it's not going to be that much. And like Booker can only take on so much usage. So I still think like Aiden's probably still a good bet for like 18 points a game. Like I, I would love for him to get traded to like a team where he's, he's going to be Featured because then you're probably looking at like a second round guy and like a first round guy in friendly punts. But I do think he'll be probably like top 40 ish with the Suns, which like I'll take.
0: And just for a brief moment here before we go to our next question to the uh, lovely Adam Stock, I want to remind everybody listening that the Brewski 150 is on sale now. It is officially in the fantasy pass. Yes, our most popular. Preseason and in-season fantasy package has the Brewski 150, which this year has 20 to 25 sleeper-type targets, many of whom have top 50 upside and aren't even being drafted. Do not go into your draft without the B-150. There's just no reason to. It's a simple $5.99 a month for the season subscription, and you'll just boat race your damn league. That's the simple part of it. That's the the long and short. Get the B-150 in the Fantasy Pass. It'll be in the draft guide, actually, two days from now as well. If you don't want the in-season package, which I think is a mistake, but, you know, you do you. you. Also in the draft guide, as of last night, Mike Passador's Sleepers and Busts. Those are some of the most popular articles that we put out on a year-to-year basis. We got Brewski's Points League ranks. We got Brewski's... Projections for the season. We've got an ADP tracker, a streaming tool, a schedule grid, depth charts. We've added a quality games board to the draft guide so you know when teams are playing on low traffic days. Second year breakouts, third year breakouts, second half sensations, best ball primers, high mileage report. We talked to Josh Millman about that two weeks ago. And of course, dynasty rookie ranks and regular ranks. It's a hell of a draft guide with over 40 features in total and counting. Now, mock drafts going into the the draft guide as of today as well. Go check that out. Draft guide and the fantasy pass at sportsethos.com. Get the Brewski 150 and just start demolishing people. Yeah, safe. It's safe. Uh, I'm going to jump over two picks here because I want to make sure we leave ourselves time to talk about your sixth rounder, which is Lowry Markkinen. And he is especially interesting... Because at the time of this draft, we didn't really know where the kind of dust was going to settle with him. This was, like, right after the trade. Um, you know, he has a lot of eligibility, which is nice. It sounds like he's probably going to be leaning into small forward, but then as guys rest, he can sort of slide up the board. It seems like now, Adam, he's going in kind of like the late mid to late 80s, early 90s range. You got him here a little bit earlier than that, but again, we didn't know where he was going to end up. I think this is like pick 67, Uh, but I was just talking about him on yesterday's podcast because we're just learning what his ADP looks like, and this is a guy who, I feel like nobody remembers this. He was actually number 71 per game in 9cat last year, and it, it seems like his situation is better in Utah, minus maybe some of the tank stuff, but... Walk me through a little bit of your thoughts on marketing, why you were willing to take him at 67. Where do you think he might go this year from a fantasy standpoint?
1: Yeah, so for me on a per game basis, it's exactly what you said. Like he finished 70th last year. I don't think he's that risky from a per game basis. I think there's not a lot of downside and quite a, a bit of upside. Like we've seen top 50 before in Chicago or early in his career, and his game's like pretty fantasy friendly like the the main risk is that he gets he gets hurt a lot and then he's on on a, a poor team but at this price it's not too bad Uh part of me grabbing him the six was actually just the draft that i was in like like it, it's important to know who you're drafting with like i'm in a draft with a lot of guys who know their stuff and a lot of guys who like kind of making spicy picks you know so like i, I ideally i would have got him in the seventh but here i just won the six because I, I really wanted him i like him from a category of scared scarcity standpoint getting nice uh points and free throw percentage impact from a big is nice I also like how he's looked in Europe in the summer like he he looks really good I think people kind of wrote off Laurie a little too early in his career because he had a a down year uh towards the end in (laughs) Chicago or he just wasn't a nice fit but like if you look at this guy it's been pretty nice in fantasy for almost his entire career like is he the best real life player like maybe not but on Utah, that doesn't really matter. You know, He's still going to be a cop, uh, the top couple of options. We'll kind of see how Sexton plays out. I, I kind of have a feeling that his usage in minutes won't be as high as some people are kind of hoping for. And I think Laurie will probably pick a lot of that up. So I think he's really set up to have a really nice year.
0: Yeah, pretty much anytime he's not being coached by Jim Boylan, uh, you're in decent shape there. And uh, you were talking about Chicago. That It seemed like Boylan kind of broke him uh, and just getting him out of there better last year in Cleveland and I like I have I'm a little surprised he's not going a little bit sooner and maybe we shouldn't yammer about it too much or he, he might start <laughs> going sooner uh PJ Washington in the eighth round is the next one I want to talk about because he's you know this is one of those things where I'm I'm thinking you'll probably say the same thing when this offseason started we were all looking at PJ and thinking come on Mike D'Antoni just be the coach <laughs> just just pick D'Anton- Come on." Well, they didn't, um, and that put a little bit of a damper on it, but not completely. What do you think P.J. can accomplish this year? Like, does his role increase? Because uh, his fantasy game is solid. It's just we've, we've always needed a little more consistency in his role out there in Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I I, I love P.J. this year. I agree. Like, the uh, the coaching situation <laughs> isn't ideal, but I, I just feel with the Hornets, like, everyone bumped up Lamello, like, was a first-rounder, and then, like, forgot about the rest of the team. Like, especially until recently, like Rozier was being underrated. Hayward is going for dirt cheap and PJ to me is, is going a little later than, than he should uh, like, like that team's not super deep without bridges in there. Um, their backup center situation is kind of sketchy. And, and, and like one of their options is, is a rookie on a team with a coach that doesn't tend to uh, play a rookie. So I, I think we're almost a lock to get like 30, 30 minutes a game for, from PJ, at least as long as they're pushing for the playoffs. Like, if they have a big injury that knocks them out, then maybe things could get a little dicey. They start to look at the, at the younger guys. But I think PJ is going to have a really nice year and, and just kind of give you a little bit of everything. Like, I think he's kind of like unique in that round. Like, there's not too many guys who can give you blocks and threes. And like, a steel. is not bad. He can pass a little bit. So, like, you're looking at an eighth round guy who can give you a little bit of everything, like a well rounded line. Usually, there aren't guys available. In, in that range. So I think people are sleeping on them and, and just like the Hornets in general, I think they're going to, at least their main pieces are going to be really nice from a fantasy standpoint. this year.
0: Yeah. They don't have a whole lot of choice there. Uh, I like to clump the last four picks together. I found that this season, at least looking at the way drafts are playing out right around pick 95 ish to a hundred. Uh, you start to see this shift in strategy to guys who have either a floor or a ceiling. Um, although, it could be argued that the first guy you picked is like less about that and more about, is he healthy enough to take the court? But I'll, I'll just roll out your last four names here. Gordon Hayward, uh, Ivica Zubac, that is Bogdan Bogdanovich and Bruce Brown, who I'm just looking at the, <laughs> I didn't even realize this, but I think Bruce Brown has eligibility at every position except center on fan tracks. So that's kind of fun. Uh, Silly little trivial footnote on the end here. What what are you expecting from those four guys? Because I am kind of lumping them together.
1: Yeah, I'll just go through them first. I, I expect Hayward to be really good for like the fifty-something games he holds up for before he does <laughs> something to his knee or his ankle. So in in head-to-head, uh, he's he's a little dicey. But at his current price in Roto, I love him. Like like there's there's no downside of that price, and there's a ton of upside. He could be top top sixty. Like uh, he like split the second option with Rozier, kind of kind of deal and, and like when he was healthy last year he was pretty solid so I, I think that's a nice pick in Roto uh Zubak's kind of a forgettable late round big but I needed a big there and I think he will play a little more this year just because Covington as a backup center you can only play him so much in certain, certain matchups so I think Zubak's probably gonna pick up a couple of minutes um if Bogdanovich is going that late in Roto he's an automatic pick to me I, I just think this is the guy who's a pretty good bet to be a top 85 ish option. I I know some people are worrying because Murray's coming in, but they had a lot of guys going out too, like, like Herter, DeLon, uh, Lou. So I still think he's going to end up in the high twenties and he's, he's put up a top 50 season ish season with that before the top 75 before. So I think the minutes are going to be there. Plus he he could turn into a top 50 guy if one of the starters goes down and like, yeah, they're both fairly durable, but these days like everyone goes down for a stretch. So Mm -hmm. you're at least going to get some nice stretches for him. And then Bruce Brown is kind of like the type of guy that I'm targeting late just because Yahoo and ESPN have bumped up all the trendy guys, so there aren't as many obvious uh, sleepers late. So I like targeting guys like like Brown, like Okongwu, guys like Bobby Portis who maybe won't be killing it to start, but they'll be better than a streamer, and they're only going to be one injury away from being a mid-round player all year.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Okongwu and Portis. Are those the other two guys that you were looking at in this stretch?
1: Uh, a, a whole bunch. Uh, you took Bamba. It was another guy on my list. Kind of similar setup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Kessler went earlier. He'll probably just be a block streamer to start, but he he's going to be pretty nasty at some point. I thought about Bones, too. I, I forget if Bones was there or not. I don't think he was, but I was thinking about Bones in 11 if uh, Bogdanovich wasn't there. Some, similar setup. Like if Murray maybe struggles to stay healthy, then all of a sudden you have a mid-round
0: guy on your hand, probably. Those are the types I'm aiming for late. So I... I listeners might have noticed that we moved through your draft a little quicker than we have on some of the other guests. And the reason for that is that I wanted to use some of our time today to talk about punting because you are the, the one guy that we uh, we have on the show that really leans hard into it, but in a different way. And I, we talked about this a bit on last year's show, actually, as the, the, percentage punts and the turnover punts have become more mainstream you've looked into really interesting ways to kind of zag when everybody is zigging what have you found to be uh some of the punt benefits going into this season has that carried over where because everybody's doing a field goal percent punt or everybody's doing a turnover punt it it has opened up other avenues other things that you can punt more easily now
1: yeah, I think it's a pretty unique year because punt field goal percentage is always up there. But then again, like you look at the first round and like half the first round is going to be punting field goal percentage. Right. So the competition for your main targets is going to be really tough, especially for the bigs. And finding the right base and punt field goal percentage can be really, really rough. So I, and then in the second round, uh, there's not really many punt obvious punt assist guys, like safe guys, at least. And that's usually one I push. And I think that one's pretty popular. So I think this is a year to kind of really get creative. Uh, One punt that I always recommend, and I I hope people kind of uh, at at least try it because it's really nasty, especially with the bigs and Durant is punt threes. Uh, with with yokage i think that's generally the go-to uh, in my main league Jokic punt threes has won the last three years even pre-prime Jokic won it with the punt three so i think it's a pretty nasty strategy and a lot of the punt threes targets are relatively safe guys you got guys like siakam um, damar murray well you can go jimmy and risky for the like a uh, per game o- upside but you can play it pretty safe with a lot of those guys and come away with a pretty some pretty nice upside just because guys like damar and siakam gain gain quite a bit of value in that setup so i think this year like yeah punt field goal percentage is always nice especially in a cap but it is a year to potentially get a little spicier Mm. and and i wouldn't even say like punt field goal percentage or punt assist is necessarily better than punt threes i think punt threes is really good but um yeah like i this is definitely a year, especially because the second round is so tricky to really put in a little extra work, a little extra prep. I think it will really pay off this year.
0: So if you're punting threes, let's just walk a little farther down that path. Cause this is always fun for me to, to just like see how far we can take a, a, a vein or an artery here. Um, sure. and, and what if you don't get Jokic in the first, does that take that option off the table for you? No, I, I love it with Embiid too. Like, like I really, I really do. Like
1: it's nice that those guys hit, hit threes, but but uh, but it works perfectly with him too, and, and he really kind of addresses the issues that that build can have because that build tends to be big, heavy. So you can run into problems with points and free throw percentage. And Embiid kind of fix, fixes that right off the bat. Like if you go Embiid and then like Murray or or, or Demar or something like that, like like uh, you're you're in a pretty good spot in almost all of the categories. Uh, Durant uh, is. Kind of like people think he hits more threes than he does, and he also fits that well because he brings the points that the build needs, it brings a free throw percentage impact. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's just a Jokic thing, I think it's the best option for Jokic. Punk blocks w- would be second, but I think it works for quite a few guys. It works really nice for Harden as well, but that's a little trickier because you have to get the points, which, which is tough. Uh, it, it would be a natural fit for Halliburton if he was a 22 23 point per game, uh, points guy, but since he's not, I think.
0: I think I lean punt points there just because it's going to be so hard to make the comeback. Hmm. What are some of the pitfalls you can, you could accidentally kind of step into if you were punting threes, it feels like, uh, well, you mentioned DeMar obviously he covers certain things, but, and then like Murray doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but does get you a number of assists. What are the things that you might accidentally also end up punting that you would suggest to listeners Here's how you kind of stay out of this problem if you're trying to punt threes.
1: Yeah, so generally points and free throw percentage tends to be the issue there. One thing I, I do find a little tricky this year is uh, steals in that setup. Not with Jokic because mm. he's so nice, but with with the other options like KD doesn't get steals, Embiid is so so good for big but nothing notable. Right. Uh, Harden's steal rate has dipped, and then if you take like someone like Demar in three or maybe around the around the turn or something. Um, then you're in a pretty big hole. And then there's not a ton of steals in, in three and four. Like I find myself in punt threes, like going OG and a five or six, even though it's not really a fix, uh, a nice fit there just because steals are so hard to find. And that's not necessarily ideal. So I think steals is a tricky one this year. I think steals is just a tricky one across all builds this year. I, I just usually find myself a little a little lower than I'd like.
0: So, You ever get the feeling that somebody's watching you? Like, even when there's no one else in the room? I don't want to start singing Rockwell right now. Now, I know you're probably thinking, Dan, it's Halloween season. You're just being paranoid. But this is real. Every day, there is actually someone watching your every move. And the worst part is, you're paying them to spy on you. That someone is your ISP, your internet service provider, you know, the company you pay for your internet. Every website you visited, late at night, early in the morning, how much time you've spent on them, they keep tabs on you. And that is why I use ExpressVPN. Simple. If you use the internet, which you all do, you're listening to this podcast, ExpressVPN is an app that you just need to be using. In the U.S., internet service providers are legally allowed to sell their browsing data, meaning all of us, what we do, to advertisers. It's how they know what we're doing. It's how you get all these targeted ads all the time. But with ExpressVPN, 100% of your traffic is rerouted through their encrypted servers, and no one can see a thing. And it is so simple. You just open up the app, tap the big start button, and that's it. Works on all your devices. Phone, tablet, computer. You can do five at the same time. It's easy. So stop letting people invade your privacy. Right now, get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. Three extra months for free when you go to expressvpn.com hoopball. That's right, baby. Still got the old name. That's expressvpn.com hoopball. Expressvpn.com hoopball. Learn more now. Yeah, it seemed like there are like four or five really, really, really good steals guys, and then there's just this massive drop off. And if you don't get one of those main dudes, it's going to be hard to beat a team that does. Is that? Do you agree with that?
1: Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Like you look, the average looks similar to like the the average steals look similar to pre- previous years. But if you look at it, yeah, it's like Murray, uh, Fred guys like that like Jokic, in, in terms of bigs but there's a lot of guys with just very average steal rates at the top yeah <laughs> top to draft this year and, th- and then that doesn't even count guys like like booker who was okay in steals but he's probably gonna regress you know like trey you never like is never a steel guy even like Lamelo, like yeah he's elite but like what's gonna happen now that he's taken on more usage you know like i think steals is just a tricky Uh, category.
0: Yeah. And a last thing I want to ask you on the punt stuff is about turnovers. And this is something Mm -hmm. is a discussion we had last year. So at the risk of repeating ourselves a little bit, um, you gave a really strong, a clever and impassioned plea (laughs) to folks to not punt turnovers and instead (laughs) just kind of treat them like a, like a whatever category. Like you don't have to be super low in them, but because so many teams do punt turnovers, by just being okay, you might find yourself with a number of interesting, unexpected wins, and that can mean a lot come playoff time.
1: Yeah, especially in playoff time. That, that's that, I think that's one of the biggest arguments because like, like realistically
0: in 2022,
1: 2023, like you're going to have guys hurt or resting at the end of the year. And if you have guys hurt or resting at the end of the year and your opponent doesn't and you're not winning turnovers, like RIP. Like that's it. In, in head to in head mm-hmm. at, at least and I also just it, it's all the points you said and I also think the difficulty of managing turnovers while being strong in the counting categories is like kind of overrated people think that like I don't find it that hard to value players properly just like it, it's the same thing like if you go into the fifth and you're killing in threes like, just use rankings, use projections that don't include threes to value players. It's the same thing with turnovers. You know, if you go into the fifth and, and the category is locked up, uh, look at uh, – treat it as an eight-category draft. You know, you're going to be dropping Mikhail Bridges, guys like that, even sells not as nice of a breakout candidate. I, I, I think just, like, if you put in the work, if, if you have your strategy set up, I, I don't think it's that hard to really – Win turnover as well, being competitive everywhere else. I I just think beginners can get uh, into trouble with it, just because they'll just follow the nine category rankings the entire time, and like you, you never really want to do that. Also, you can get yourself into trouble in certain punting builds. Actually, we'll go back to that. Like punt assist is almost always going to be dominant after, unless depending on your first round picks. But it's through five, it's usually always going to be dominant. So during the second half of the draft, I just treat it as eight cat. A lot of time in punt points. That's the, the same setup. So I, I think it's it's just being aware at all times of where you are in the standings and whether or not you need more help in the category.
0: What I'll say to you, Adam, by, by the way, as we're starting to get towards wrap up mode here, I'll remind everybody you can follow him on Twitter at Adam G Stock. You will always have a place on this podcast as long as you continue to argue that turnovers are a, <laughs> a relevant category. I, I don't know. I, I know that I'm like out on an island a little bit here. But I just don't mind the fact that nine category leagues deal with them. I do think there's a value to being a, a player who can accomplish more with fewer turnovers as in real life. Like, they they matter in real life, so they Absolutely. should matter in fantasy. So I, I get it. Like, a lot of folks do ignore them and treat nine cat like eight, and that's fine. That makes you – that turns you into a – you generally get a pretty good head-to-head team going that way. And I understand the argument that – some teams give up in roto, and so you know, to that end, you'll probably be in front of them anyway. But like adding four, five, six extra points in turnovers in roto leagues has actually been really critical to some of my wins. So, that like you said, I think there's just like it's another level of strategy, and if you utilize it properly, then you're good to go. And sometimes that means treating it uh, with where you ignore it a little bit more, and sometimes, like you were saying. If you're just, like, cognizant of it throughout the draft, then you can use it to your advantage. Um, yeah, it, it can really only, like, change,
1: like, a couple picks. Like, you don't really need to make all your picks with turnovers in mind. I, I've never done that. I just, like, make small tweaks. And since everybody else is kind of ignoring it, usually that's enough to bump you up. Yeah, I love but, it. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll win this argument ev- eventually. No, we and won't. We'll bring this. <laughs> I, I know, probably not. We won't. Everyone likes their points. Everyone likes their assists. So they'll always... Yeah, we're on turnover truthers. Yeah,
0: you're you're talking to the guy hosting a pod who's like, yeah, I pretty much soft punt points in most of my road leagues. so obviously I don't care if I'm uh, winning. You know, I'm trying to win turnovers here. Also, Uh, Adam Stock in the again the Great White North, uh, breaking down some punt stuff for us here going into the 2022-23 season. Thank you as always for carving out time, my man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. It was a lot of fun the punt man i have so many more questions for adam but we don't have time to do all of them i should probably have budgeted honestly i should just leave him out of the industry mock which is such a funny thing to say at the end of a a hit with a really good guest i should leave him out of the industry mock so that we can just do a whole segment on like different paths you can take you can snake your way through and i don't want to give away all the stuff that he works on he's he's a terrific writer um but I do want to talk more about some of that pun stuff. Because I found myself, uh, after recording that segment, we recorded that a little bit before this show comes out, um, I found myself driving my kid back from school, and I was just sort of like kind of daydreaming in the car. Like, what if I went Kevin Durant in the first round? Because I think I'm going to end up with a lot of KD. I think I'm more bullish on Durant than uh, a lot of the community. And, you know, maybe that ends up killing me this year, but... You know, last year I was the Rudy Gobert guy. This year I might be the Kevin Durant guy. Um, KD's just very good at a lot of stuff, but he doesn't have that hyper-elite thing happening. Now, obviously, he's a very good scorer, and his two percentages are both very good. Free throw percent, he was hyper-elite there. But, like, rebounds are good. Assists are good. Steals are okay. Blocks are good. Field goal percent, good. Threes are good. He doesn't profile all that well as your typical head-to-head Type of play is fantastic for Roto, but like for head to head, where you do start to think about punting, what do you punt with a guy like KD? Steals? Maybe threes? You know, Adam was talking about Embiid at 1.4 threes, Jokic at 1.3. You know, taking a center early maybe leans you in that direction. Durant is more of a power forward and he hits about two threes per game, which is above league average. I don't think you punt something where your first round pick is above league average. You know, he's not Steph, he's not Trey, he's not these guys that are hitting three and a half or four of them. Even LeBron hit almost three. But, I don't know, with KD, that's a weird one. Maybe it steals in head-to-head. Or maybe he's just not the direction you go in head-to-head. Maybe you go Embiid and just lock in a big points number like KD, lock in some good blocks, some good rebounds. Still got good percentages, but, you know, it's like we kind of go either way there. I don't know, man. When I have an early pick in head-to-head, I tend to not want to punt. Like, why Why pigeonhole yourself like that? Why lock yourself in after the first round? Maybe the second round comes back to you, and I don't know who the hell's on the board. Pick whatever player you want, say they're on the board. Um, maybe that's when you consider the punt. Like, maybe there's a guy towards the end of the second round that you were eyeballing, is it Bam? I don't know. Bam's not a guy that I've really been lusting for in the second round of drafts this year. Let's try to make this more reasonable. You took KD at like the four spot, because it tends to go Jokic, Giannis, either Luka or Embiid, maybe the other one of those guys, then maybe KD. So it's probably coming back to you like around pick 19, 20, somewhere in that neck of the woods. If you're putting steals, you probably don't go Freddie Van VanVleet. Donovan Mitchell, he had a big steals number last year. Demonis Sabonis, I guess you could go with. Big guy, does actually get some steals, doesn't really block shots. I don't know. I think I'd rather just go with players that I really, really like and kind of worry about the other stuff later. Like, if you'd have awesome players, you're going to be able to trade them for value if you'd like to bring a punt back. Now, if you have a pick slightly... Okay, so, you know, one caveat to that is Giannis, obviously you take him early. He's a great guy to build a punt free throw team around. As you work towards the back end of the first round, even, even middle and back end of the first round, the the weaknesses in players become a little bit more evident. Like, I love Steph. He's going mid to back first round, but he's weak in guard stats. Or weak in big man stats, I should say. He doesn't rebound very much. Doesn't block shots. Last year, his field goal percent was low. That was a little weird. It might come back. But you could go Steph, and then, all right, depending on who comes back to you, Maybe you contemplate a rebound punt. Maybe you contemplate a blocks punt. Maybe you kind of go like a big man punt. Those options, Trey leans into a punt pretty hard towards the back end of the first round. James Harden kind of leans into a field goal percent punt. As you move towards those players, the punt becomes a little bit more, I think, necessary on the head-to-head side. Now, in Roto, I think you always try to work on pairings. You want to make sure that you're not leaving any stats on the table. But, like, if I'm the Kevin Durant guy, I might just go for a crap ton of categories in head-to-head because he makes you good in a lot of them. I think he's going to be healthier this year than people think also. But whatever. Dedicate a whole show to Kevin Durant. Maybe I'll do that on YouTube one of these days here. Lead up to it. Uh, thanks again to Adam G. Stock. On Twitter. So you can find him. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Thank you again for dropping a five-star review on the show. Thanks again for reaching out on recruiting stuff. Again, we're looking for DFSers right now in particular. Uh, thanks for filling up all these ethos leagues. I believe this is the largest turnout we've ever had on that front. And let's just keep having a ball as we roll towards the start of the NBA season. Coming up later this week, we'll talk to Aaron Bruski and Josh Lloyd. Should be a really fun conclusion of the week. We will also have some of the Dan Vesper's old man squad starting to trickle out into your earlobes. And then next week, we'll profile some actual real draft results. I think we might even do some of that this week. This is Critical Moments, everybody. We got real ADP data to go through. Get you ready. Your drafts are all coming up. I know it. Have a great, great Tuesday. 132 off-season episodes. Donezo. Five more to go. That's ballgame time. So long.